God works when we pray and does not work when we don't. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we get into the message this morning, that you would bless our time by giving us wisdom, that you would bless our time by giving us understanding. I pray that we would rightly divide your word, and as we look at this important subject of prayer and continue to think about it as a church, I pray that our eyes would be open this morning to just how important it really is. And we pray in your son's name, amen. As you know and have been told uh, over the past few weeks that one of the goals that we have talked about as leaders in the church uh, is to get us to be a, a more effective, to become a more effectively praying church corporately. Part of this is due to just our observation as to what's happened over the years. The prayer meeting, as we've known it, at our church anyway, has dwindled uh, to just a few people that are coming out. And as we look at the congregation as a whole, the body as a whole, um, there are no young people at prayer meeting. There are no young families at prayer meeting. Uh, the average age of the person who attends prayer meeting is probably 65 and up. And we're just, you know, we're evaluating this and saying, where, where is everybody? And why aren't we praying? And so some of, some of what you're hearing from us is coming just from a simple evaluation and assessment of where we are as a church. But um, in that, you, you know that we've emphasized this for the past few weeks. We've talked about trying to incorporate prayer into our small groups. And so when we meet as a small group to take time, a chunk of time, and use that to pray together. And we're advocating that people get together on your own just to make an appointment with each other and pray uh, for the needs of the church, pray for the needs of your family, and so forth. Uh, we're proposing changes to the current format of prayer meeting. Uh, as Al, you heard Al get up and talk about the, the questionnaire for next week, which will take and uh, get your input about how we can make this happen uh, in our church. Pastor Dan just finished two rather strong messages on prayer and you know, what we should be doing in praying. Ask, seek, and knock. Pray without ceasing. And uh, some of the highlights of his messages. But my question to you this morning is, what's the big deal? Really? So what if we don't pray? Is it really that big of a deal? Why are we, why are we doing this? Isn't prayer something that we should choose to do or not do? Is, what, what difference is it really going to make in, the, in my life? What, really, what difference is it really going to make in the life of the church if I decide to pray? Isn't God sovereign? And is he going to do what he's going to do anyway without me? That question always comes up. I teach uh, a class in, at fellowship, the ninth and 10th grade, and every year, as we go through certain passages and we start talking about the attributes of God and it comes to his sovereignty, that question comes up. Does God really need us to pray? Is God sovereign? Is he in control of everything in this earth? Is he going to have his will established in spite of us? And if so, what's the big deal? Why is it so important that I pray. And on the one hand, I would be quick to answer, yes, God is absolutely sovereign. We'll, I'll preach that until I'm dead. And then when 
I see God, I'm going to be amazed at who he is for all eternity. God is absolutely sovereign. There are things about God we just don't understand, and we try to figure them out in our, our human, feeble ways of, of thinking about who God is, that there's, there's some things that are just paradoxes that we, don't, we can't fully grasp, and I don't know that we'll ever grasp them. I think there are some things about God, that, that some things we won't know, even in heaven. And this is one of them. Do our prayers move God to work? How's that possible if God is sovereign? Is God, you know, what, what is that all about? The overwhelming evidence in the scripture, and I am apologizing up front. We're going to look at a lot of different verses today. But I do, I want to overwhelm us with what, what God has said and really cause us to think about this. The overwhelming evidence given to us by God in the scripture is that in his sovereignty, he chooses to work through your prayer. In his sovereignty, he chooses to work through your prayer. There is an intimate connection between what God does and your prayer. And you can't escape it. It's all through the scriptures. And, and I want to point them out and, and let us really look at them this morning. I suppose when the question comes up, why should we pray? What's the, real, what's the big deal? If God really is sovereign, isn't he going to you know, accomplish his will without us? One of the answers and the standard answers that I give, and it's true, and I've heard it given by many other people, is God commands us to pray. And in essence, that ought to be enough to answer the philosophical question. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But regardless of whether it is or isn't enough to answer the philosophical question, it is nevertheless a command that is repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures. I want to take you through a few of them just to remind us about what they are. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? I, I become weary and tired, and the older I get, the more weary and tireder I get. My body is beginning to fail in different ways that it hasn't failed before. And uh, we're all marching toward that end. God doesn't get tired, and he's not weary. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't need sleep like we do. What does that mean for us? His understanding is inscrutable. There's nothing he doesn't know. And if you come to him for wisdom, he's got the wisdom because he's God. He knows all about chemistry and biology. He knows all about lasers. He knows all about management. Everything that exists in this world is from him. He knows everything. He gives strength to the weary. Awesome, awesome thought. When we're weary, when we're spiritually weary, God will give us strength because he can. He gives strength to him who lacks might. 
To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And we revel in all of these thoughts about the strength of God and the availability of that strength to us. But what does he say in there that we need to do? Who does he give it to? Does everybody receive the strength of God? Do you? How? What's it say? Those who wait on the Lord. What's that mean? Go stand in a corner and wait for him to do something? No. It actually has to do with prayer. Those who go to the Lord and trust in him and pray to him, those are the ones to whom he gives strength. Pray. Look at Matthew 26. Verse 41, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, he's praying in the garden. He had asked his disciples to keep watch while he went and prayed by himself. That's the context. Verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's the command? Keep watching, keep praying. Turn to Mark 13. in a passage that's talking about the return of Jesus Christ to the earth and end times events. Verse 32 says, But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone knows the time when Christ will return. Take heed, therefore. Has Christ come back yet? I have not seen him. Is he coming back? I believe he is. So is this passage for you and for me? I think so. Take heed. Keep on the alert, for you don't know when the appointed time is. Take heed. Keep on the alert for what? For the return of Christ. Keep watching. Keep waiting. Keep praying. Take heed. Keep on the alert. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke 18, 1 says, now he was telling them a parable to show them what? That at all times they ought to pray and to not lose heart. You think Jesus was 
a prayer person? How many times do you read that he rose up a great while before morning and went up into the mountain to pray? How many times do you find Jesus praying? Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus went out into the wilderness on his own before he started his earthly ministry, what was he doing? He was praying to God. He was communing with God, reading his word. So he gives a parable here to teach his disciples how all men ought to always be praying and not lose heart. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. Paul writing to this young man in the ministry says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who, excuse me, and for all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This, meaning the entreaties and the prayers being made for all men, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that's the one you memorized last week. What's it say? Pray without ceasing. I was asking... Uh, the family last week. Is that possible? Is it possible to pray without ceasing? I don't think so. It's impossible, isn't it? How do you pray without ceasing? Are you praying right now? All right, then we're not praying without ceasing, right? Well, what's he mean by that? I don't think he's asking us to do the impossible. I think he means let your life be characterized by prayer. Be ready to pray all the time. Don't let a moment or a day, a minute go by where you're not ready to pray to God at the drop of a hat. Have an attitude of prayer all the time. That's possible. Pray without ceasing. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. At the end of that passage where he's talking about the armor of God... He goes through all the pieces of the armor, telling us how we can remain strong in the Lord through faith, through righteousness, through truth, through peace. And he comes to the end, and he says in verse 18, how do we do it? With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray for each other. Pray for yourself. Pray for the kings and those in authority. Pray for the church. Pray that God would keep you from temptation. Pray, pray, pray over and over and over again. There's the command. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. We'll end with this one. Romans 12, 12. A bullet list that Paul gives for the church of characteristics that ought to be present in the church at Rome. He starts in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Hate that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Don't lag behind in diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in the hope that you have as a believer. Persevere in tribulation. Be devoted to prayer. It's in the list. It's a command. We have to do it. But why? Why is it so important? Why does God, this is just a few verses. We could spend all day going through all the verses where we're commanded to pray. It's over and over and over again. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus said it, Paul said it, Peter said it. Pray. Be devoted to prayer. Why? If God is sovereign and he's going to accomplish his will in this church, what is God doing with Fellowship Bible Church? Does God have growth in plan for us? Are we going to see people get saved and come to Christ through the preaching of the gospel? Are we going to grow together and closer as believers in Jesus Christ? Are we going to fulfill the Great Commission? Are we going to be a part of what God's doing in this, in this area in a greater sense? Does God have a plan for us? What is it? And how is he going to accomplish that? Is God going to do anything with us if we don't pray? You know what my answer to that is? No. He won't. And that's what I want to try to prove to you this morning and help you understand and help myself understand. This, this message is changing me, too. You know, my, my, if you want to put me on a needle and over here is God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. God is sovereign. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need my help. And over here is we need to pray. There's people that we know that way, right? Are you praying? You got to pray, you got to pray, you got to pray. I'm like, leave me alone. God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm okay. Well, I'll just tell you personally that I'm tipped on this side at this point. Because I honestly believe that God's will is so intimately tied to our prayers that we can say confidently that God will not work if we do not pray. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. I want to show you the positive and the negative of this. this these are the two verses I want to kind of connect my thoughts to you this morning through. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. I want you to keep your finger there and turn to James chapter 4, verse 2. Because I want you to look at these two verses together in conjunction with each other. James 4, 2. And please hear me clearly. I do not deny the sovereignty of God. God will do what he's going to do. God chooses whom he chooses. You read Romans chapter 9. You can't get away from it. God is absolutely sovereign. What I'm telling you is he has revealed to us in his word that his sovereign will is connected to our prayer. They're not a separate thing. They go together. In, if you, in uh, Isaiah 64, 4. For from of old, they have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither has the eye seen a God besides thee who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. Right? Think about that. We have a God who acts in behalf 
of us, but it's tied to something in this verse. What is it? It does not give a blanket statement that says God acts in behalf of every person. He acts in behalf of a group of people that's specifically labeled here as what? Those who wait for him. Do you want God to act in your behalf? I do. How many times do we wait until we get ourselves into a pickle? And then we go to the Lord. You want God to act on your behalf on a regular basis? Pray on a regular basis. Wait on him on a regular basis. So positively stated, God works in behalf of those who pray. Negatively stated, turn to James 4.2. Will God not work in behalf of those who don't pray? Yes. You lust, but you don't have. You want things, but you don't get them. You ever been in that situation? You desire something in your heart, but you don't get it. You lust and you don't have, so what? You commit murder. I can't, I'm not getting what I think I should get, and so I go get it for myself, and if I have to kill to get it, I'll do it. You are envious, but you can't obtain. Now, obviously, this is talking about some vile sin here, right? Envy, murder, we don't want to think of it that way, but think of it in terms of your own life. Do you want God to work for you? Do you want to see the blessing of God in your life? Do you want to see God building this church, growing this church, seeing people coming to Christ, seeing people who are in this church growing, becoming closer to God, sending people out to preach and to be missionaries? I would love for that to happen here. It has to some degree, along the way, right? But what about now and what about the future? How is that going to happen? That's what we want, but you lust and you don't have. You're envious, maybe, of another church. Look what they've got. Look what's happening there. Look at all the people that are coming there. Look at the people getting I wish that would happen here. I'm just going to quit here and go over there. You're envious, and you can't obtain. So you fight, and you quarrel. How come it's not happening here? Ah, it's your fault. You guys would just get up and do something about it. And so we fight with each other. What's the reason? What's the problem here? You do not have because you do not ask. That's the reason. We're not asking. God will work on, the beha- on behalf of the one who waits for him. He will not work on the one who doesn't. You don't have because you're not asking. The sovereign will of God, what he wants to do, is tied to our prayers. You think it's important that we get on this bandwagon and, and really commit ourselves as a church to pray to God? Yeah. Everything that God does is supernatural. You can't save anybody. You can't make people come in here and want to hear the gospel. You can't make somebody grow in their heart. You can't make somebody 
accept the call of God in their life to preach the word and to become a pastor or a missionary. You can't move in somebody's heart to do that. Only God does that. How is he going to do it? He works on behalf of the one who waits for him. You have, you don't have because you don't ask. I'd like to go through some of the promises of God. This is what really struck me as I was thinking about this. God has promised us many, many things in his word. And probably in the hundreds if we listed them all out. What God has promised to do for us and through us and in us as believers. I want to take a few of them this morning. And I want you to see the connection like I saw it. As you read these promises, every single one of them has something attached to it. They all do. In every one of them, it's prayer. What has God promised to do? We'll, we'll start right here in Isaiah 64 we'll just, with the kind of overarching statement that we've made already. What has God promised to do in Isaiah 64.4? Work, right? Act in our behalf. Is that a promise of God? Yes. God has promised to act in our behalf. And what will he do? What, what are some things that God will do for us? How will he act in our behalf? James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, will God give it to you or not? Yes. Turn there for a minute. James chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, comma, skip over the next part for a minute and go down to the end of the verse, it will be given to him. So just draw a line through the middle part and just connect the thought. If any of you lacks wisdom, it will be given to him. That's a promise. If you lack wisdom, God will give you wisdom. That's a great promise, isn't it? Do you always know what to do? Do you always know what to say in every situation? Are you ever lost like I am to... to know what to say. I just don't know. I, you know, people come with problems. How do I, what do I say? How do I help in this? I, I don't know. I need wisdom. God's going to give me wisdom, right? That's the promise. But what's it say in the verse? If any of you lacks wisdom, what? Ask. Let him ask of God. And guess what? If we don't ask, we won't have. It's a promise. Will God do it? Is he sovereign? Can he do it? Can he give me wisdom? Yes, he can. God knows everything there is to know in a single act of knowing. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Is he wise? He is the only wise God. Can I tap into that wisdom? He said I could. If you lack it, I will give it. But that promise has something attached to it. If you ask. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. What else does God give to us? Will God provide for us materially? Will he work on your behalf and give you what you need? Look at Psalm 37. Sorry, I told you there going to be a lot of verses. I'm going to keep my promise. Psalm 37 Verse 25. 
I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Does God provide? What's his name? Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Has God provided for his people in the past? Yes, he has. Read your Old Testament. How many different ways did God provide for Israel over and over and over again? Did God provide for the early church in the book of Acts? Absolutely, he did over and over again. He provided them with things that they, they needed. Is that the kind of God he is? Yes. Will he act on our behalf and give us what we need? Yep, that's a promise of God. How about teaching and instruction? I wish I just knew everything about the Bible. I'm still, I mean, it's fun to learn. I like learning, and I keep reading, and I keep learning. What I'm teaching you this morning is something, I won't say revolutionary, but it's, it's gripped me. And so I want to share it with you. It's, it's something that God is teaching me in my life. Who, do, who does that? When you learn new spiritual truth, who does that? It's the Spirit of God. He's promised to teach you. Look at Isaiah chapter 2, since we're in the Old Testament. Verse 3. We could go to 1 John for this too. We have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will teach you and guide you into all truth. But Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. And many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. God will teach you. God will teach me. What I need to know, is that a promise that he's given to you as a believer? Yes, it is. The Spirit of God dwells within you, and one of the ministries of the Spirit of God is to lead you into truth, to teach you the truth, help you understand the truth. Is that a promise? Sure. What about strength? Has God promised us strength? We looked at Isaiah chapter 40 already, verse 31. God gives strength like he does to the eagles. He'll lift you up. He'll strengthen you. How about Psalm 29? There's another 100 verses we could go on this one. Psalm 29, verse 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. It's a promise. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Will God act on our behalf? Is that a promise? Sure is. But who receives that promise? What must we do? Isaiah 64, 4. Wait on the Lord and pray. All right, here's a second one. God will promise, or what God promises to deliver us. We read that word quite a bit, the deliverance of God. We've probably asked that at some point in our life, God, please deliver me out of this. We enjoy the idea that God will deliver us. Um, look at Psalm 107, verses 28 to 30. Psalm 107. Verse 28. I won't go into the whole context of this. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. It's metaphorical. We're often in storms. Feel like the waves are beating against us. We don't have any strength to stand. But he delivered them out of it. He brought them out of their distresses. And then, verse 30, they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. 
Will God do that for you? Yeah. We are his children. He will deliver us from evil. It's part of the Lord's Prayer, right? Deliver us from evil, out of evil, out of the snare of the evil one. But what did they have to do? What was the first phrase in that Psalm 107, verse 28? They, they cried out to the Lord. They went to him in prayer. And then God moved. Will God deliver us from trials and temptations? We know 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If you don't know it, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. There it is. He's promised to be faithful to us in our troubles, our trials, our tribulations. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Will God deliver us? Sure. He will. He's promised it. Will he deliver us from sin? From Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. This is in the passage about Jesus' birth. Speaking of Mary, verse 21, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save, or that's actually the word deliver. He will deliver his people from their sin. Are you stuck in a sinful pattern in your life and you want to get out? You feel like you want God to deliver you from that sin that crushes you, that overtakes you, that has you by the throat? Sure. I want that too. Has God promised to do that for you and for me? He came to deliver you from your sin and from all of its evil effects. What do we have to do? Psalm 107. You want God to deliver you? Do I want God to deliver me? Cry out. They cried out to the Lord and he delivered them from their distress. They're connected can't have one without the other. Here's uh, the next one. Peace. Has God promised us peace? Yes. God has promised us peace. There was, um, we just read it in one of the passages we just read uh, in Isaiah that God would also give us peace. But I want you to turn to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And we memorize this verse. We love the idea of the peace that God gives. And he's promised it to us. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which passes all understanding and comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Has God promised to give you peace? Absolutely. Peace that we can't even understand. 
You ever met a Christian who's on their deathbed in the hospital and they are just totally at peace? You've met a believer who's trusting in God and they're going through all these crazy circumstances in life, but they're at peace. Who does that? Only God can do that. If we're left to our own, we're going to worry. Left on our own, we're going to become anxious. Left on our own, we're going to try to figure out how to get out of this situation ourselves and probably end up making it worse. Who can deliver us and give us perfect peace? Peace that we can't even comprehend. God. God can. He gives us peace with himself. Right? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I'm just going to turn to it and read it so I don't misquote it. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has established peace between you and him. Where before you were saved, there was no peace in your heart toward God. You didn't know God. But as the gospel was presented, you understood your sin and you needed to go to God through Christ. And what did God do for you? He, he made you at peace with himself. He reconciled you to him. We have peace with God. What about peace within ourselves? My peace I give to you. My peace I leave you, Jesus said before he went to the cross. And he's given us the spirit of God to accomplish that work in our hearts. We can be at peace with ourselves. How glorious is that? There shouldn't be any conflicted Christians. We should be at peace with ourselves because we know who we are. We know where we're going. We know who Christ is and what he's done for us. And he's given us his peace. We have peace with other people. Where at one point we may have been combative and hostile and angry. We can be at peace with each other. How does that happen? God does it. He does a work in our hearts. He changes us and makes us more like himself. You go back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, is yours, Christian. It's attached to something. It's attached to verse 6. What does he say to do? Let your requests be made known to God. You've got to pray. You want to expect God's peace to be the promise of God's peace in your life, let your request be made known to God. They're connected there in the same passage, the same sentence. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God will come to you. They're there. What about the guarding of our hearts and minds? I wish I had one. I do. I have God. I don't like living in this sinful world. I really don't. We're bombarded with images, we're bombarded with ideas that are ungodly, unholy, and we've got to deal with it all the time. We live in a mucky world. So, we protect ourselves to a degree. We guard our hearts, we guard our minds by staying in the Word, by doing, doing certain things. Do you want help with that? Would you like to have help, to have God's help in guarding your heart and guarding your mind from temptation and from sin? I do. And guess what he says? Same passage. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, what's it going to do? Guard your heart. Is that a promise of God? Yep, it's in Christ Jesus. It says it right at the end. He'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. He'll guard us from temptation. James chapter 1 says God doesn't tempt anybody. He can't be tempted 
to sin himself. He doesn't tempt you to sin, but when you're tempted, you give into it because you have lust in your heart already. We're our own worst enemy. The lust is already there. You want to guard against that and not let it come out? You want to suppress it to put off the old man and put on the new? God says, I'll do it. I'll guard your heart. I'll, I'll guard your mind against temptation, against worry. You don't have to worry about anything. Why worry? Little kid song, why worry when what? Oh, Guard against sinful attitudes. Where do, where do our sinful attitudes come from? They're already there. Why do I get so upset when people do things to me? Why can't I just be at peace? Why can't I just be a kind person? I want to be a kind person. I just can't find the strength to do that. You want God to guard your heart against these attitudes and help you? He's promised to do it. What's the promise connected to? Verse 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication. What about rest? Has God promised you rest? I love to rest. At the end of the day, ask my wife. I get conked out. And I rest. I need to rest. My mind and my body. Deeper than that, our souls need rest, don't they? Rest from the weariness of life without God. Rest from sin and the burden that that carries. It's our souls. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a promise. Jesus promised you rest. What's our responsibility? Even in what Jesus just said, come unto me. You need to make a movement toward God yourself. Jesus give rest to everybody? No. You come unto God yourself, and he has promised you rest. The promises of God. Even if we go into the promise of salvation, the very first promise that we ever took advantage of as a person to become a Christian, God promised to save people, to save us who believe, to justify us, to make us righteous before God. I, you know, it's still amazing to me, I know myself, but to be able to think that I can stand before God and to have him look at me as a righteous person is an awesome thought. To know that all my sins are gone, they're buried, they're forgiven, and I'm standing on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't have to be that good person. He made me good in Christ. He redeemed me. I had no way to God, but he paid the price. He bought me. Awesome promise. He granted me eternal life. The one thing that my soul really craves is to know that I'm going to keep going and live even after I die. That's what I want. That's what you want. Everybody wants that. How do we know that we have it? Well, we have it in Christ. He's offered it to you. Look at Romans 10, verse 9. Romans 10, actually 9 to 13. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's God's promise. 
you believe in me, repent of your sin and believe in me, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever does what calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can't even be saved without praying. The promise of God and salvation is connected to your prayer. How can you repent of sin? And Who are you confessing to? Yourself? You can sit there and hear the gospel. Jesus Christ paid for your sin on the cross. God accepted his sacrifice, and now all you need to do is believe in Christ. You need to repent of your sin and have faith in what God did for you. That's the gospel. How does it become effective? How does that promise become your promise that you can claim? You know, we're careful at this church about invitations and saying the prayer. I know there's a lot of churches that do that, and... I want to say that's okay for, for what it is, but the problem with that is that many people think that they're saved because they repeat something. They just say something, like magic words. I'm going to say this and God will save me. No. What does God say? You need to repent of your sin and believe. That's, that's what you need to do. But as you're doing that, don't you need to pray? How can you do it without it? You can sit there and understand the gospel and say, oh, that is so awesome. Christ paid for my sin. I am so glad of that fact. You're not saved yet until you personally repent of your sin and exercise faith in God and call on his name. He who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So flip these all around. All these promises that we just went through. We say God acts on behalf of the one who believes in him or the one who prays to him, the one who waits on him. So the question then is, what if we don't? What if we don't pray? Will God act on our behalf if we do not pray? No, he won't. Every one of those promises was attached with... The one who cries out, the one who calls, the one who prays, the one who waits on the Lord. Those are the ones who receive the promises of God. And so if you are not praying, don't expect God to work on your behalf. And if we are not praying as a church, guess what? Don't expect God to work on our behalf. How important is this? That we get behind it. You want... God to provide wisdom for you and to act for you, to provide material blessing, to teach you the things we talked about, pray. Pray for it. What about deliverance? Will God deliver you from the things in your life if you don't pray? Don't expect it. If you're not praying, don't expect God to deliver you. And if we are not praying as a church, don't expect God to deliver us out of our problems and our situations and our temptations as a church. We have to do it together. What about peace? If you're not praying, don't expect the peace of God in your life. He hasn't promised it to you. He promised it to the one who prays. The peace that passes understanding, the peace with God, peace with ourselves. And if we are not praying as a church for peace, guess what we won't have as a church? 
What about God guarding your heart and your mind from temptation and sin? If you're not praying, don't expect God to guard your heart. And if we are not praying as a church, don't expect God to guard us from sin and temptation. We have to pray together. God give us rest. If you're not praying, don't expect God's rest. We are not praying as a church together. Don't expect God to give us rest. Salvation. If you didn't pray, you would not have been saved. If others do not pray, they won't be saved. Pray for them that they will. So what do we do about this? What do we do? Is prayer really important to you? I don't know. We look at what we're doing and I think not. I think it's probably not. Because we don't, the one time when we do get together to pray during the week, nobody comes. Well, not nobody. Very few come. There's a few faithful people that come and actually pray. Make a commitment to pray yourself personally. If you don't do this, don't expect God's blessing in your life. Make a commitment to pray personally on your own. Corey Ten Boom said this, and I love it. Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. You guys all have calendars. I'm going to do this on my calendar. I've, I've committed to doing this myself. If we were to put your, your uh, electronic calendar up on the screen, is there any time on it that you pray? Or do we just pray when we get in trouble? Or when we want something? Or when we need something? Make a commitment to pray every, every day. Set a time, set a place. Make that appointment. Commit to it and do it. Second, make a commitment to pray with someone else. I don't care who it is. Find somebody that you can pray with and pray with them. If it's a family member, I've been real lacking in this in my own family. Pray with your family. Pray with the people around you. Commit to praying with them. If you're single and you don't have a family, find somebody else who you can pray with. And that's willing to pray with you and get together and pray. Do it. Make a time for it. If it's really that important, why are we not doing it? It's because I don't think we think it's that important. I'm hoping that we can see that it's vital. We, God won't work without it. And lastly, make a commitment to pray with this church. Whatever we come up with, you know, I don't know what all the excuses are why people don't come out. I can't come out because it's dark. I can't come out because it's cold. I can't come out because I have kids. I can't come out because I work. I can't come out because I can't, I can't, I can't. And I know, you know, we're trying to deal with that. We're trying to help all of us to kind of figure out when we can so that we can pray as a church. Will you commit to doing this? You might say, well, when do we? <laughs> when do we pray as a church? Well, right now we pray on Wednesday nights. It's when we all get together. Sunday morning, one person prays, me or Pastor Dan. We could change Sunday morning into a prayer meeting maybe, but I don't think that's what God wants us to do about the preaching of the word. You might say, I can't, I just, I don't, well, what are your priorities? If you want to see God working in your life and working in this church, why are you not praying? What are the priorities that are overtaking this? I don't know. I don't know what they are. 
If you're a member of this church, I can't imagine that you wouldn't want God to work here. If you're like me, I want the word of God to spread. I want the gospel to be preached. I want to see people coming to know Christ. I want to see people getting saved and settling here at Fellowship Bible Church, staying here and serving here so that this church will grow, spiritually and numerically. That's what I want, unless you're different than me. I'd love to see God work in people's lives and see a a movement of God right here. These are all supernatural activities. Only God can do them. And God has said, if you want me to act on your behalf, pray. Father, I just ask that you would burn these words into our hearts, in our minds, and Lord, if we are lacking in our attitude or our priority when it comes to prayer, please change us. I know, Father, that there are people in this church who are so committed to praying on a regular basis. I know there are others who are not committed at all. I pray for a movement within our group right here, Lord, that we would take this seriously and commit to praying personally, for the church, for the needs of the church, for each other, and commit to praying with each other. Father, whatever the barriers are, whatever our reasons are, whatever the excuses are, whatever the rationalizations are, help us to overcome them. Help us to be a people of prayer, not just to talk about praying, but to actually pray and to seek your heart, to seek your face, to seek your will, to seek your work in our lives, in our church's life, and just ask that you would, you would help us, you would change us, you would give us the strength that we need to make this commitment together. We look forward to what you will do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.